Myrtle Beach is the beach. 60 miles of bright sand, water, and a wealth of wonderful music playing day and night. You can step into a simple beach bar and discover a surprising level of exciting musical talent. A place to kick back and groove to the enticing soundtrack of the most unexpected vacations around. With nothing but good vibes floating through the warm ocean air. Plan your own music-filled trip to America's Jukebox at visitmyrtlebeach.com. Welcome to Podcast One. We hope you'll support our sponsors who bring you these podcasts absolutely free and with limited interruptions. And of course, we appreciate you listening to this show, which will get started in just a second. Since 1983, Eddie Trunk has been the voice for fans of rock, hard rock, and heavy metal. A best-selling author, host of TV's That Metal Show, and seven national radio shows, including Trunk Nation, daily on Sirius XM. Interesting. Eddie offers the world his news-making interviews, passionate analysis, honest commentary, and who knows what else. So welcome to the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Welcome, everybody. It's Eddie Trunk, and it's time for another episode of the Eddie Trunk Podcast, which is new every Thursday, podcastone.com and iTunes. Hope everybody had a wonderful Christmas this past Tuesday, and here we are headed towards a new year of 2019, wishing everybody a happy, healthy New Year celebration, whatever it is you may be doing. And I am here, yep, every week. Bringing you a new podcast, regardless of holidays, regardless of what's going on every single week of the year. New episode for you on Thursdays, always free, podcastone.com and iTunes to download or stream. Appreciate everybody spreading the word. Appreciate everybody listening and everybody favoriting and subscribing and all the things you do with the podcasts. And yeah, it's good to get a little break around the holidays. Hopefully you're able to do so. I have had the busiest travel year of my life in 2018, not complaining, good to be busy, good to have so many great opportunities, but I am greatly enjoying not being on a plane at least for a couple of years. The next thing lined up for me that will uh, require me kicking into the new year to do some travel will likely be the NAM show, which is the big uh, music retailer event in Anaheim, California going to be out there hosting a heavy metal award show called the Hall of Heavy Metal History, who, by the way, those guys are doing something really cool. You may have heard that story about um, Lee Kerslake, uh, the drummer who played on the first couple Aussie records and is terminally ill. And it was just a heartbreaking story that he doesn't even have platinum records for his work on Blizzard and Diary and wants those records before he dies it's unbelievable that he doesn't have them you can only hope that somehow the osborne camp will uh, have the decency to send him those records as his dying wish you're talking about uh, something that probably cost a couple hundred bucks at most uh, it's it's really hard to comprehend and a lot of people are reaching out to lee including 
a buddy of mine named Pat Gesualdo who does this heavy metal award show that I've hosted every year, and he'll do it again at NAM. It's open to the public. You can learn more at hallofheavymetalhistory.org. But he is flying Lee Kerslake from England to Anaheim uh, to be a part of this, and he's got a GoFundMe going on his page for the uh, for the event to help offset the cost for Lee's flight so that he can have one you know nice honor uh, in his life as well with the remaining time he has left. I don't know Lee Kerslake. I'm looking forward to interviewing him and having him on my Sirius XM radio show when I do broadcast from NAM in that week in uh, in late January. So more information when we get a little bit closer, more information about the awards on their website. And I also, uh, along the same lines, did an interview very recently with Bob Daisley, who, of course, for those of you that don't know, Bob Daisley played bass on every single Ozzy solo recording from the first album through No More Tears, with the exception of the Ultimate Sin record, and wrote the huge majority of Ozzy's lyrics for him. And Daisley is uh, also the guy behind a Gary Moore tribute record that has recently come out. So I did a great interview with Bob, who lives in Australia. It aired on Christmas Eve on my Sirius XM show on volume on Channel 106. In the coming weeks, I'll bring that interview to you here on the Eddie Trunk podcast as well. We talk about the Gary Moore stuff and the uh, the tribute record, which really is great and shouldn't be lost in all this. There's some great stuff on there. And also, we have a, a great discussion about some of his work with Ozzy and where that all stands now. It came out recently that there was some some semi-resolution to his publishing issues and his fight for credit and money with the Osborne camp. And where that all stands is really anyone's guess because Daisley legally can't talk about too many things anymore. But it was a great conversation about Gary Moore, and we touched on some of that stuff. And Bob has played with a lot of other people as well. As a matter of fact, I just had Getty Lee on my Sirius XM show. And Getty Lee told me he flew all the way to Australia to interview Bob for his base book that recently came out. So that's all you need to know about uh, Bob Daisley's uh, credentials. Speaking of that Getty Lee interview, that made a ton of news. And as I always tell you guys, the interviews you hear on the Eddie Trunk podcast, they originate and all happen live on the radio, on my daily radio show on Sirius XM 106 volume. And I am going to be on live right through the holidays, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time, replay 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern. It's channel 106. It's nothing but rock talk and interviews. And I appreciate you joining me. Maybe some people getting Sirius XM for Christmas coming on board. Be sure to listen to me on volume. The show is called Trunk Nation. Again, every day live, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern, rebroadcast 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern, or listen whenever you want on the SiriusXM app. Getty Lee was in the studio with me last week, made a ton of news with that interview. And it's always interesting when I do those interviews, what people gravitate towards, what they pick up on from the interviews. And the big thing that came out of the Getty Lee interview was the fact that Getty Lee, in the course of our conversation, said that Neil Peart is not only retired from Rush, he's retired completely from drumming, meaning he doesn't play anymore. And I was shocked at the amount of pickup that had all over the world in the rock media because I just thought people already knew that. I'd been hearing for a while that Neil Peart doesn't have any drums at all in his house anymore. He completely retired from the instrument, and Getty Lee confirmed that. I guess it was Getty Lee's affirmation that inspired so much of a 
of a big news coverage from that line out of my interview. By the way, if you want to hear that Getty Lee interview in its entirety, I will podcast that for you hopefully on next Thursday's episode. I wasn't able to get to it this week because I didn't have access to it uh, with the holidays and a lot of people on break. So we're going to do the best we can this week and next week to uh you know to to bring you some quality interviews but a couple of them like the two we have for you this week are a little bit older but still very very cool to listen to just didn't get a chance to put them on so we'll do them during this between christmas new year's break so a lot of good stuff coming daisley coming getty lee coming a lot of lot of good stuff on the horizon. And again, all of the interviews courtesy of Trunk Nation on Sirius XM Volume. Hope you listen live and get involved in the conversation with me and call in and engage with us in our live daily get-together, Talking Rock there. Of course, you can always follow me on social media at Eddie Trunk, Twitter, Instagram, fan page on Facebook. EddieTrunk.com is the official online home with music news about the bands you care about posted daily and updated daily and a bunch of other cool stuff on the site as well if you want to order copies of my book eddie trunks essential hard rock and heavy metal volume two directly from me personalized by me hit the books tab on my website remember only volume two currently available i cannot accept orders from volume one i do not have any copies of volume one volume two orders only for now on the website All right, so this week for the podcast, a double dip. First up, Jason Bonham. The interview I did with Jason was done in November. At that time, he was about to kick off the latest run of touring with Jason Bonham's Led Zeppelin Experience. For my money, one of the finest, if not the best, Zeppelin tribute shows out there. And we talk a little bit about some of the lineup changes and the evolution of that band. And, of course, we talk with Jason about some of the other bands he's in as well, including Black Country Communion and playing with Sammy Hagar and all that sort of stuff. Always a great conversation. Jason always gives me great stuff, and this will be no exception. So Jason Bonham coming up first. That'll be followed by Mark Tremonti. Mark Tremonti called in a couple months ago and was on the show discussing his own band, Tremonti, and also a phenomenal Alter Bridge live with an orchestra DVD and CD that came out a couple months ago as well. We touch on that and maybe even a little Creed talk. So Mark Tremonti, second part of the podcast this week, and Jason Bonham will kick it off. We'll get to Jason right after this on the Eddie Trunk Podcast. The Eddie Trunk Podcast. Hey, if you or loved one get leg or foot cramps, you know how painful and disruptive they can be. Muscle cramps, they can jolt you out of a sound sleep or interrupt your daily life. Well, listen carefully because recently I've told you about and learned about TheraWorks Relief. That is a non-greasy foam that's proven to relieve muscle cramps fast and reduce muscle soreness. Plus, with daily use, TheraWorks Relief can even prevent muscle cramps before they start, so you can get a full night's sleep and do the activities you love without worry. TheraWorks Relief, it only takes minutes to apply. It absorbs quickly, and it truly works. People love the results. You've probably seen Dr. Drew Pinsky on TV talking about TheraWorks Relief. Many of my colleagues on radio, they are also talking about TheraWorks Relief. And now, the holiday season. It's around the corner. So if you know someone who suffers with muscle cramps or muscle soreness, can't think of a better gift than TheraWorks Relief. It is the choice for preventing and relieving muscle cramps. Make it yours. 
Get TheraWorks Relief today in the pain relief aisle at Walmart, CVS, Rite Aid, and Walgreens, or by talking to your pharmacist. Learn more at TheraWorksRelief.com. Podcast One would like to congratulate Adam Carolla for being one of 2018's most downloaded podcasts. Can't lose, man. Either way, you're going to win. And Jordan Harbinger for being one of 2018's most downloaded new podcasts. So it was like this small niche community of people that knew about podcasting, and that's what we started building from there. Thank you for tuning in, and check out new episodes of The Adam Carolla Show and The Jordan Harbinger Podcast every week on Podcast One or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. This is The Eddie Trunk Podcast. I have pen fed, that's a fact. I have pen fed, that's a fact. My credit card purchases get me cash back. My credit card purchases get me cash back. No one else gets these rewards. Sergeant, that is just plain untrue. What in tarnation? Sir, PenFed's PowerCash Rewards Card isn't just for military members. Anyone can get cash back on all purchases. Ah, friggins! You've ruined my favorite song. PenFed Credit Union. Visit penfed.org slash powercash. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. All right, welcome back. And again, a very Merry Christmas to everybody. And I wish everybody a very happy new year. Thanks for listening to the Eddie Trunk podcast. Still getting you a brand new episode you haven't heard before on the Thursday during the holidays, but appreciate you guys listening and always like to deliver something new for you every single Thursday. Coming up in a bit, we'll talk to Mark Tremonti of Creed, of Alter Bridge, of his own band, Tremonti. Before we get to that, though, as I mentioned, a conversation with Jason Bonham. This interview took place just as Jason Bonham was about to kick off his latest touring with what is now called Jason Bonham's Led Zeppelin Evening. He talks about why the name change happened in the interview. I've known Jason for a very, very long time. It's always great to talk to him. He always gives me some great stuff. Again, uh, the tour dates he's talking about and the tour that he talks about starting out this interview had ha- has already happened because this was done back about a month and a half ago, but there's still great, great content in here I think you're going to enjoy. So let's get to it. Our first of two interviews this week, we kick it off with Jason Bonham. How are you, JB? I'm exceedingly good, and thank you very much for calling me, uh, uh, Ed. This is, um, as I say, I, I, we talk about this all the time. I never imagined to get it out of the garage, really, this one. It was uh, uh, it was never meant to be work as much as it did. Um, and the last couple of years, this overtook all the other projects that I was working on. Uh, and, you know, what can you say? When it's um, the greatest, greatest music uh, ever written uh, in the world, uh, to, to be able to go out on stage and play this, represent my family i'm very very lucky I'm, i feel very honored and i take this very seriously it's a I, as people laugh i always go this is the this is what i do when i'm not working <laughs> well it, it, i've talked about and raved about how stellar it is and I, I i'm thinking about it now jason when what year what can you take us back can you remember the very first time you did the zeppelin show the um, it was we played in a small place in Canada um, um, way back uh, in 2008 uh, 2008 uh, 10 2010 yes a small little place out in the middle of nowhere in Canada 
uh, and it must have been the whole town came. Um, <laughs> it, but it was an amazing feeling from the start. The, and it wasn't long after that I realized this wasn't about my Zeppelin experience or my Led Zeppelin way of doing things. The stories and the people that would come to me and tell me about their their fondest memories or their hardship when you know how you know things happened at times when uh when they went to see Zeppelin shows but it seemed to bring everyone together and before I knew it this whole thing was something that you share and you've been to see the, the show it's it's hard to explain but the feeling that everybody has of love and the respect for the music is beyond what what how you can explain the show um the band is amazing i'm so fortunate to have these guys uh and i'm really looking forward to tonight because you're going to love it we are really going left field and we're also going to go back to some killer arrangements from the the most famous live album i, I would say some remains the same right oh sure so we're going to do the full 37-minute version of Days and Confused. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> How much time are you going to have left for anything else after you're done with that? <laughs> well, for this way, I just saw Guns N' Roses play for four hours in Mexico. And I said, if they can play for four hours, then we are, with a shadow of a doubt, worth playing for three hours, at least tonight. Wow, that is – well, let me ask you this because there's a lot I'd like to ask you about this because it is unbelievable. I mean, people know there's a million Zeppelin tributes out there, but this is way beyond that. Obviously, the personal connection here with your 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 dad, which you interject into the show with some video and stuff. As a matter of fact, you told me when I saw you a couple of weeks ago at the Hagar show that um, you, had, you found some new footage or something you're going to be bringing out? Oh, yeah. We um, – actually, myself – I'm very fortunate James Dillon, the singer, is also a great graphic uh, designer. And, and also Dorian Hartson, the bass player, he's really good at video editing. So what we have done is we have gone back through a lot of the stuff that I had that we hadn't used, um, completely put it through the high-def mash machine, I call it, and uh, refined everything. And the new... Moby Dick is off the chart. Um, it really is. It's like one of those things. I I hope at one point we'll be able to hand out goggles um, to, to like three-dimensional things that you can put on and literally be, you know, within that. So wherever you look, you are like part of what you see me play, but also you'll see in front of you. As if you're me watching, me play watching the screen and my father playing. That yeah, for pe- for people that, that for people that have not seen you do this, what you're referring to is there's actually a moment where you and he he's on a screen and you trade off and, and jam with them on Moby Dick. Yeah, which is something that I had no idea about until there was a news article, which I still have, um, uh, where he talked about. Uh, what his dreams were and what he would like for me to do as a kid. Uh, and one of his ambitions was to play side by side with his son at the Royal Albert Hall. And uh, at the time in the show, the the drum solo used to open with the part from the Royal Albert Hall. So 
I was fulfilling some of my dad's wishes without even knowing. I mean, and that's naturally how the show has become. Uh, it's not a fabricated, we don't dress up, we don't try and be a theatre kind of version. This is about the music, you know, like when Zappa does Zappa, it's just serious. For me, to, to represent my family, this has to be right. So um, if at any point I feel the music, it, we're not doing it justice, um, it's, you know, it's gone and we have to go back to the drawing board. I mean, we're now even rehearsing in the dressing rooms before we go on because um, I want to make sure it's right. Well, it's right. I mean, I'll tell you, man, it, it, it's, it's not, it's, it's so heartfelt. It's not cheesy in any way. It's so incredibly well done. James, as a singer, just, as you said, looks nothing like Robert, but that's kind of cool because he sings the, the stuff spot on. Uh, you have, well, two things that came to mind. That, that bit where you do that with your, with your dad and, and the, the projection screen that's there. That that just got me thinking, you know, there's a lot of talk in the last year or two, and you just mentioned Zappa a second ago, about holograms. What are your thoughts on that? Is that something you'd ever be comfortable with, introducing into a show like this uh, of your dad? I mean, I'd love to see. I'd, I'd love to be able to try and, um, and do something in that way. I think that would be an amazing way to uh, um, to honor him and to have it. You know, it, it's weird that the O2, I, know, I didn't say this, share this to too many people. At the O2, I, it was my idea of the end of rock and roll was actually for the for the lights to go out and it would go to like one, um, if not six or whatever of the best endings of rock and roll from that. You know, that was my... I, had, I said, can we end the O2 show, the Celebration Day show, where it, you know, we come to that lonely, 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 lonely time, and it goes to different versions, you know, from all the different tours, you know, and say pick six or four of the best ones that we that we have in good quality film, I guess. And you know what the guy said to me was. You've worked so hard all night to to stop people comparing you. Why do you want to give it back to him at the end? And that was a really weird touching moment for me. Mm. But at the same time, I wanted to go, but it's my dad. Right. And, and I want, and he goes, they'll never forget him. Don't worry. But, he goes, what you need to do is you go out there and you remind them that you're his son and this is what he gave you. So it was very special, but I really wanted to to give it to him again. And uh, so in the end, what I did was, I don't know if I've told you about this, I kept the sticks that I had on me as I walked off stage. I drove home. The next morning I went to his grave and I buried them with him. Oh wow! There you go, Dad. Have them back. They're yours again. Wow, that is beautiful, man. You did not. I did not know that. That is amazing, Jason. How how old were you when your dad passed away? Were, were you you would have been what around thirteen or so? Um, I was four. Yeah, just fourteen. So, do you still to these days have very vib, vivid, fond memories of him? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, very much so. Um, 
you know, sadly, my sister doesn't because she was only five. But I have, yeah, I have some very, very fun, very fun, fun memories and some very scary ones in, in, in weird ways. Not that it was just, um, I laugh about it now, but for instance, one of his buddies comes over, say, and, you know, he's had a couple of drinks and he goes, hey, John, I've got some shotguns in the car. Let's go shoot something. <laughs> and I'm going, and he goes, Jason, will you come and carry the ammo for us? <laughs> so we, we're walking around a field that Dad had lived. We lived on a farm. And you've got a singer and a drummer walking around. And they've had a few beers. And in the end, the one, one, the one, the singer goes, you know what, man, this is boring. Let's just shoot that tree. <laughs> so they decided to open fire on this poor, helpless tree that were, was there. And um, it was just, when I look back, I go, that was nuts. And, of course, for those who don't know, there was Ozzy Osbourne that was over at the house. Oh, my gosh. Um, yeah. Uh, who would walk around naked, uh, sleepwalking, um, and then go and, and go and pee in my dad's wardrobe, um, looking for the bathroom. I mean, it was just different times. Many times I'd, I'd open my bedroom window and see, like, loads of naked people in the swimming pool. And, I mean, it was okay. It was the 70s, man. Um, but there's nothing worse than watching a grown man go down the water slide it goes into the pool before it was switched on so you imagine the slide was very dry <laughs> yeah. and this guy went down head first so you could imagine as it squeaked all the way down there and almost ground to a halt and oh. then a little splash as he fell in you could imagine most of the skin that was attached to something on his body was missing. Oh my god! <laughs> it was free circumcision, I <laughs> Oh my gosh! The things you've seen, my friend, I can't even imagine. It's good that you have some of those it was, memories. It was but... all normal. It all seemed normal, you know. <laughs> and, then, and then, then the door would open. You get to about three o'clock. The door would open, and it'd be like my dad going, "Come on." Come and play, come and play drums for the friends. And that was a regular occur, you know, occasion. My dad, the, the drums were set up, and he put the jukebox on and go, "What? Watch my boy." He was a very proud, you know, dad that his sons would play drums for all these songs. And um, were so, you yeah. were you home, Jason? Were you homeschooled, or did you actually go to school? Go out to school? No, no, I went. I went to school. I tell you what, my dad was. I, I, I spoke to you about my love for dirt bikes was my life at that point. Drumming was a secondary thing. I was very good at dirt bikes, very good at racing. Um, so the the worst thing that could happen to me was my dad would take a dirt bike away. So if my school report card came in bad, the bikes were gone. So he he was, he was on you about yeah. it. Oh yeah, because. Dad actually, Dad had was was very well educated. 
and had a lot in England. It's called O levels uh, and 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 that. So he actually had eight O levels, which the average person would get one or two back then. Uh, he had eight O levels, and um, yeah, he wasn't what the the Neanderthal man that people had him down for. He was a very clever guy. Jason Bonham is who I'm talking with. Jason Bonham's Led Zeppelin evening tour. The latest leg kicks off tonight in Florida, in Jacksonville to be exact, the Florida Theater. And then yep. tomorrow you're in Clearwater. And then on uh, Friday with our good friend Dave Gold there at the Hard Rock in Hollywood. There are just a handful of tickets left, if that, for that show. And then Kansas if City, that. and it goes on and on and on. Go to jasonbonham.net for more info. Yeah, Tulsa. Well, I just went to look, actually, and it looked like the site was down. So if you don't mind me, it is then Tulsa. And then it is, I believe, Dallas, Dallas Houston, Houston, far, uh, which I've never been to, far, then Atlanta. Um, and if I look here, I have it in front of me. Atlanta, the Atlantic City after Thanksgiving, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. We have Silver Springs, uh, Maryland, which is the Fillmore. House of Blues on the 27th in Boston, which is always a regular occasion. Montclair, the Wilmont Theatre, New Jersey, the 29th. Westbury, November 30th. December 1st, we are Munhall, uh, PA, the Carnegie of Homestead Music Hall, which I think sits outside Pittsburgh. Juliet, uh, um, Rialto Square Theatre. Uh, and then Louisville, Kentucky, December 4th. Cleveland, yes. Uh, December 5th, New Buffalo, uh, Four Winds Casino, December 7th. And we close out this winter run, uh, December 8th, Detroit at the Fillmore. It's a great show. I'm going to try to make the show in Jersey. I'm actually leaving tomorrow. I'm going on tour with Deep Purple through Mexico for two and a half weeks. So I'm going to be I'm going to be on the road myself for a bit. But I think I'm back when you play at the Wellmont. So I'm going to try to check off that one to get there and, and see the show. because I'm... I will fly you to Detroit to, to uh, and because honestly, I, I will fly you up there. You, you need to come and see us, Detroit. The, it's a crazy show we have there. It always does real well. Um, and I just love for you to come review the last one of uh, of the 2018 uh, JBLZ run. Yeah. I, I, appreciate, I appreciate that offer, but I actually I actually have a gig myself on that night in Tulsa, but I, you know, I'll definitely make one of these because I love seeing the band, but I, I appreciate that. Speaking of the band, couple things on the current band. First of all, uh, your guitar, your, you have a relatively new guitar player in the band. Talk about that change, if you will. Oh, I mean, Mr. Jimmy Sakurai. Now, this gentleman came from Tokyo. Um, if I don't speak slow, he doesn't understand a word I'm saying. Uh, and even then, he has to kind of like record the conversation so he can send it to a friend of his who then can uh, translate for him. But musically, oh, he is... I could go on forever. We have these arguments about which version is which, and what it sounded like when. And he's the only other guy that can stand the ground with me and say, no, I, I think you're wrong there. Or I'll go, no, no, it's different there, right? And he goes, no, this 71 version, night two. 
Oh my gosh! Yeah. And you're like going, okay. And so, what colors play? What outfit did Jimmy wear on that particular night? This night, he wore white suit with uh, trousers. I wore curry socks. You know, <laughs> oh you know. my gosh! <laughs> yeah, it's it's like it, his knowledge is ridiculous. You know, he has so he is. Uh, I've been buying up a lot of the '69 plexi heads from that period for the guitar tones because I noticed his tone is what was missing that we had before. So um, he has this... Uh, so I, I, I've got to... Put it this way, you'll be amazed. When you see this new backline, we, we have really gone to town on uh, on authenticity for the sounds, uh, everything. Uh, the, the new screens, the new LED screens, the new Moby Dick footage. Oh, it is like watching high def. It's... it's yeah, it's going to be amazing. And let me ask you this. You, you, Lambert. you Harris and Lambert were doing. Well, oh, wow. Wow. Yeah, that's the other cool thing, too. You're always running different things in and out of the set list. It's always fresh. There's always something on there, like, you know, that that you're like, wow, that's that's awesome. Um, Jason, you had to ch- alter the name slightly recently from Jason Bonham's Led yeah. Zeppelin Experience to what it is now called Jason Bonham's Led Zeppelin Evening. Tell that story. That was directly at the request of the Zeppelin guys, right? Yeah. Um, they, uh, The attorney, who's my attorney also, uh, wanted the terminology, uh, the Led Zeppelin Experience, not to be associated with anything. Uh, other than what they had planned. And I said, of course. You know, I, I'm, I mean, well, at first I was a little like, what? You know, what are you, what are you actually saying? Um, so, and once they explained to me, uh, which I can't talk about, uh, but once they explained to me what the, the, you know, the premise is, yes, I said, fair enough. I said, you know, I don't have control on the internet where if people type in, it's bound to come up, Jason Bonham's Led Zeppelin experience. He goes, but as long as it, as long as I change what I can change, um, and then it was like once I realized I could keep the logo, and that's why I called it Evening. I was happy because we did all this logo. You know, I wanted it to be instead of the mouthful of Jason Bonham's Led Zeppelin Evening. It's we know as J Blaze, you know, J B L Z E. Mm-hmm. So, um, and, and plus I had the license plate, so I couldn't change the, e, <laughs> you know, the important so stuff. It could have been the Jason Bonham's Led Zeppelin extravaganza. Um, yeah. Well, listen, I won't keep you too much longer, but one, one other thing, speaking of those guys, have, has Paige Plant or Jones ever seen this or commented to you about it? Have they ever watched it? Have they ever said anything? Have they been supportive or just kind of indifferent about it? What What's the vibe since you've been doing this for a while from those guys on it? There's never been any uh, negativity or anything. I mean, it's kind of nobody nobody really commented on anything other than I went to Robert called me uh, one time and said, I have uh, a request. Couldn't you put these two names on the guest list for the show in uh, uh, somewhere in Nashville? And I was like, pardon? 
that that took me by like totally by surprise that he would call me and ask. He goes, "I have friends that want to see the show." Um, and I'm like, "Yeah, of course." Uh, he goes, "You'll like the guy. He's Jerry Lewis's manager. Jerry Lee Lewis's manager." Mm. Uh, and I was like, "So, yeah." And and then afterwards, he called me and said, "Thank you so much. You didn't have to, you know, be so nice. You know, you really looked after them, made them feel special." Uh, he goes, "Thank you very much." Uh, and uh, he told me that you guys were amazing. Would I'm it be, like, oh, thank you. <laughs> would, would it be fair to say that of the three surviving members of Zeppelin, that Robert is the guy that was kind of always the, the closest or kind of maybe took you under his wing a little bit? Um, yeah, well, yes and no. Robert's the very one, the closest. Um, Jimmy was the one that kind of was the first one that, Take me out on the road with him. Did that Rider album? You know, when you think I'm the only drummer on a on Jimmy's only solo album, other than like the Death Wish uh, soundtrack. You know, we did one solo album, which was Outrider. Yeah. Um, so I feel pretty honoured that that did that. We had a lot of fun when we went out on that tour. Um, I loved playing all those songs. I was 22 years old, Eddie. I was new and fresh to this whole um, world of rock and roll and debauchery, as they say. Um, I just remember staying at the UN Plaza for two weeks as a hub, and we would fly out to the different shows from there. And when I went to check out, my incidental bill was (laughs) $37,000. What did you buy? I, I, I must have bought everybody in the bar a drink every night, <laughs> even when I wasn't there. <laughs> and Jimmy's was probably double that. <laughs> I mean, I, I no, I probably, I probably everybody. When I said get everybody a drink, uh, I didn't mean to say <laughs> every night, every day. Um, yeah, I was probably getting Jimmy's drinks at the same time. <laughs> And the, called, what, what did Jimmy, Jimmy said? It's called a learning curve. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and the, and of course, this is the fiftieth anniversary of Zeppelin, which we're rapidly running out of twenty eighteen. I mean, there's only a couple months left in the year, less than that. Ah. So, I mean, sure. I, I guess a lot of fans were kind of hoping something special would happen, especially with the fact that they wanted that experience name. But you know, unless they're going to do it in the next seven, six seven weeks, it'll have to be you know never or maybe for the fifty first anniversary. I would guess. I'll go there. So, Eddie. When did Led Zeppelin one come out? Sixty eight, right? No, sixty nine came out January sixty nine. Oh, well, okay. So I'm a little so okay. So we still got the band formed. The band formed in sixty eight. Okay, so next year is real because I always mark anniversaries from when the re- debut record came out. So technically, twenty nineteen. So, well, let's, let's do some research here. I, I'm, I'm I'm positive that. The release date of the first Led Zeppelin album was January of 69. Okay, well, that's good, because then that means that we've got all next year to hope for something special. Yeah, as I said, uh, let's look into that. And if we find out, because I think, because the two albums came out the same year. I remember that. One and two came out in the same year. 
So it would be January and December. Uh, one came out, and then December, Zeppelin two came out. Let's, let's double-check that. Uh, All right, well, Ed, uh, my producer, Ed, who's who's uh, who's there, he'll Google it. Ed, jump no, in. No, he's right. You're, he's right. He's right. It's, it's 69 yeah. for both records. Thank you very much. There you go. All right. But next year, next year is 50. All right, so we just got a whole nother year of renewed hope. <laughs> well, to me, the special thing there is, um, uh, I always say, I, I'm, there's a couple of shows that I'd love to do uh, uh, with this to honor their, the, the release of those albums. So um, watch this space. And, uh, and if, uh, yeah, um, there's a famous Royal Abel Tall show and 69, which I would love to do and, and do it from start to finish, um, which would uh, be something very, very special. So, um, you know, I, I, as I said, uh, this is about what the fans like, and I do this. If I can do this in between my Sammy Hager gig and my... Because that's important to me, the new music that we've written together. But obviously, this is my passion and my family. So let's... Um, you know, with the support that all of you have given me, let's just make this a year to remember, um, and, and let's let's celebrate in every way we can. JasonBonham.net for all the dates. And, and Jason, you mentioned it so real quickly. I know you got to probably go, but I just saw you play with Sammy recently. I was saying off the air before you came on, I think I was at the first show that you played with Sammy because it was at the Hard Rock there in Hollywood. You got up and jammed Pound Cake, and now you've been a part of this great band, The Circle. And you guys have an album coming out of original music, right? Yes, we do. Uh, and I'm, which I uh, collaborated on on a few tracks. And even Sammy got me working. Um, I was on tour during the summer run and we thought we'd pretty much finished the album um, and, but there was two more ideas that Sammy had kind of come together with and at the time my home studio was was down for being some reconstruction work so I found I had to go to a little place uh, in the acreage up in West Palm uh, to record the drums there which worked out great and then while on tour, Sammy goes, hey, I've got this new idea for a song. So he sent it me, and it was just him jamming to a drum loop of when the levee breaks. And I'm like, uh, okay, what am I going to do with that? He goes, well, just work your magic. He goes, you've got a day off tomorrow. I went, I'm in upstate New York. It's Father's Day tomorrow. And he goes, so? <laughs> find the studio so I'm like and luckily enough I found a studio and it worked out that I ended up having my buddy Ian Hatton the, the guitarist from Bonham my best man at my wedding um, he knew this amazing studio uh, not far from uh, from where I was we went in there great drum room the track sounded killer he played uh, guitar on it also and, it, and it's been kept on. So he he's actually listed as one of the guitar players on there now. So it was kind of a cool, uh, really cool way of spending Father's Day uh, working on this track. And to me, one of the best tracks on the album. It, um, it's so, amazing. Um, it's it's amazing to me. And I've known Sammy for, for, for a long time. He's one of my favorite people, him and Michael. It's amazing to me 
the work ethic that this guy has and how good he still is at 71 years old. It, it's remarkable. I mean, I, I don't know how you, I mean, look, look at you, you know, you're in a band with him. I mean, to see what this guy's still doing at his age is, is really remarkable. Well, I took him, um, we had a day off in Cleveland. I took him to see Phil Collins. He wanted to meet Phil and I arranged it. I asked Phil and Phil said, yeah, sure, bring him in. Uh, and when I told Phil how old he was, Phil was like, what? Are you kidding me? He goes, what do you do, drink from the fountain of youth? <laughs> it is incredible. And uh, and last thing, man, on Black Country Communion, the other thing that you you know, you know do when you can do it, it's, it's basically a studio band. It's basically a band to make records at this point. I mean, I know you do one or two shows a year, and that's really looks like all that's going to be. Where are things at with that? Is there talk of doing yet another record or... I mean, there has been talk of another record, so that's, I, um, I know we will end up doing another record. Um, when, I'm not too sure. Uh, obviously, Joe is doing exceedingly well, uh, and Glenn's doing great on his tour, and Derek. So, um, but we do love that. We do have fun doing that album. I like the creativity of the band. Um, uh, I just love... Um, I, I, what I'd like to do next time we go in is to go in, think we've recorded it, give it give it three months, go back in as if we were writing another album, and then pick the best out of the two lots. Because we only we spend such a short time on doing it, um, and then I think the goal would be to do um, you know a, a new live album with all the new material and, and, and really do a, a full-on thing. You know, we're not getting any younger anymore. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a killer band, too. And for those people that don't know, that's Glenn Hughes, Joe Bonamassa, and Derek Sherini. And Glenn Hughes, another guy, uh, ridiculous. What he I just saw Glenn do his Deep Purple set, and it's... I mean, it, what he does vocally—it's just there's no words for that. The, the two guys, right? You play, you play with two guys that clearly have found the fountain of youth in, in Sammy and Glenn. I mean, it's uh, ridiculous. It's there's no—it doesn't even make sense. Uh, amazing. I mean, uh, literally, uh, vocally, uh, everything. The other guy that's been still singing um, exactly the same way is Paul Rogers. Um, he is phenomenal. Um, but what I would I'd love to say is, for me, uh, the goal for the whole thing of the music scene and for us in all these different bands and projects is everybody that is from that era is still out at the moment going, they, they want to really enjoy themselves at concerts again. And concerts are, is what is important now, to go and play the music live, to get out there and, and do right. what we do. I mean, um, I've been very fortunate to work, if you didn't know that already, when the new Superman, when that Superman came out a few years ago, Man of Steel, I'm on that. I'm one of the drum guys on that, the the drum circle with Hans Zimmer, the the legendary Hans Zimmer. So check out the the soundtrack to to that. It is drum heaven. Uh, And I was one of one of the 14 drummers in a drum circle from some of the most famous drummers in the world. Um, oh. So I just felt very honored. And, and we've done a library of sounds from Hedley Grange. Um, it's, 
it's it's crazy. Look up the little bits from Hans Zimmer and and stuff. You, you'd be amazed. Uh, Joe Walsh, the different people to work with Phil Collins, to you know, it's I'm blessed and and to have friends like yourself. We've been friends for a while. So my one, uh, I wanted to ask the stump the trunk question. <laughs> really. Um, so what? Are you ready for this? Yeah, I'm waiting. I'm waiting. What drum kit did John Bonham use on Led Zeppelin One? Oh, I'm completely stumped. I have. I don't have a clue. Come on, you just. You, I can give you a 24 hour to research. It. <laughs> you won the prize. I'll deliver it when I come see you. What is it? Okay, Slingerland. Slingerland. I would have four inch kick Slingerland. I would have went for Ludwig, but I had no, no clue because at the time Buddy Rich was using Slingerland. Consider I me stumped. Pictures. There's pictures in the book. You look at the new Led Zeppelin book. Open up. There's pictures of my dad playing Slingerland. Wow. Well, I'll take your word for it, man. Uh, consider me stumped. I owe you a prize. Jason, thank you, buddy. It's always great to talk to you. Everybody check out Jason Bonham's Led Zeppelin Evening, the latest tour kicking off tonight in Jacksonville. All the dates at jasonbonham.net, wherever you're listening. Try to get out and see this phenomenal show and the phenomenal music of Led Zeppelin played brilliantly and performed brilliantly by Jason and uh, his incredible band. Safe travels out there, my friend. I'll see you soon. I'm definitely going to try to come see a show before you uh, wrap this thing up, okay? Right. Thank you so much for uh, for everything. Um, And you you take care of yourself, okay? All right, Jason. I'll talk to you soon, man. Thank you, bud. Okay, man. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thanks to Jason Bonham on this week's Eddie Trunk podcast. And let's get a break in. We will come back and be joined by Mark Tremonti for our second interview of the week. That's next. This This is the Eddie Trunk podcast. It's the holiday season, the giving time of year, and our exclusive partners here at Podcast One, BetOnline.ag, are in that giving season with two incredible promotions that you absolutely do not want to miss out on. First, create a free account on BetOnline.ag and use the promo code PODCAST1 to receive a 50% sign-up bonus. Yes, a 50% sign-up bonus. Looking to give a friend or family member a very fun gift this year? Well, take advantage of their Refer-A-Friend program, where you can give a 200% bonus to your friend up to $200. That's amazing. Whether you're into all the exciting sports happening from NFL to college football to NBA to college basketball to NHL, or you enjoy the fun of movies and television with betonline.ag, early lines of the Oscar Awards, or who is the first to perish in Season 8 of Game of Thrones, betonline.ag is the only place to get in on all this action. Go online or use your mobile phone to sign up today. And try in-game live betting where you can participate with all the action with every play. Use the promo code PODCAST1 for 50% sign-up bonus and get your holiday shopping done early with their Refer-A-Friend promotion. BetOnline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. 
Happy holidays from all your friends at Podcast One. Hey, it's Adam Carolla. This is Heather Dubrow from Heather Dubrow's World. Hey, it's Steve Off from Steve Off's Show. Hey, this is Rob Riggle. And Sarah Tiana from Riggle's Picks. This is Caitlin Bristow from Off the Vine. Hey, this is Kelty from The Lady Gang. Happy holidays from Podcast One. This, this is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to the Eddie Trunk Podcast. And now we segue over to talking to Mark Tremonti. Mark called from the road. It was at a time when he was about to play a festival in Kentucky called Louder Than Life that had been rained out. And he uh, joined me for a few minutes on the phone to talk about Alter Bridge's uh, I have said this many times. I love Alter Bridge, and Alter Bridge are a massively successful band in England. They headlined Royal Albert Hall and played with a full orchestra. That is available out now on DVD and CD. We talk about that and a bunch of other stuff as well. Always fun to talk to Mark Tremonti. You got it right now on the Eddie Trunk Podcast. What's going on, brother? How are you? What's happening, man? Doing well yourself? Good. You got a little you home? You got a little downtime? What's going on? No, I'm in Nashville right now. We're uh, just a day off here, and uh, we were getting ready to play Louder Than Life, but that got canceled, so we got a couple uh, extra days off. Oh, so you're out with the Tremonti Band at the moment. Yeah, we tour for another three weeks, and then uh, we head back out to Europe for our next tour. I had you on, I think, just after you had come back from it, For but for those that didn't hear about that, you uh, you were with Tremonti. You recently opened up a bunch of shows for Maiden in Europe, right? It was the yeah, it was probably the biggest moment of our uh, of our this band so far. It was pretty amazing. You guys go down well. Did the maiden crowd love you, or or how how did it go over? Oh, it was awesome. You know, it was one of those moments where you gotta give it everything you got because you know if, uh, you got every night between twenty and eighty thousand people wanting to see Iron Maiden and not wanting to see whoever's going on before them. <laughs> so you had to. Uh, <laughs> You had to sway those people to give you their uh, attention for 40 minutes, which was, I think it was uh, a great learning experience for us to, to develop as a live act to kind of get to that next level. So when we did the festivals after that, it was so much easier to kind of put on a show that, that kept people interested, even though they might not be familiar with you. And, and you know, they want to see that headline act so bad that you've got to do the best you possibly can to keep them entertained. Yeah, I was going to ask went you. over really well. I think we, got, we gained a lot of new fans. I was going to ask you about that because that's kind of like um, you starting all over again, which you've had to do a few times in your career. But, you know, with Creed, you guys became a huge band. It had been a long time since you opened for anybody with that band in the, in the existence of that group. Now, Alter Bridge, I mean, in America, you, you headline great venues. And as, as we're going to talk about, and as I said many times in other parts of the world, especially England, you guys are an arena act. So for you personally, it's been a while since you've been in that position. I would imagine where you got to you're the you're the opening band because you're you're normally the headliner. You got to worry about winning over that audience. Yeah, you know I've gone through that routine, like you said, three times now. I like to be the underdog. I like proving myself. I like uh, starting over and challenging myself, especially you know you do, doing the front man thing and singing uh, on stage is a whole new uh, thing for me. You know I've been doing it for now for what six years, but it's. Uh, definitely something you can't learn from watching youtube clips or practicing at home it's something you got to go and throw yourself to the to the wolves to learn so it's been a great learning experience for me and uh i would i'd like to keep doing it again and again you know reinventing it 
And you know, along those lines, the uh, the song "Waters Rising," which was from the Fortress album, I noticed it's also on the, what we're going to talk about now, the uh, live at Royal Albert Hall. And ever since Fortress came out, you've pretty much had that in the live show with Alter Bridge. Almost every show, at least most of the ones I've seen and heard about. So, has that been a good thing for you? Because that is your moment to t- to do a full lead vocal on a song. Has that been a good thing for you? Is and is one of the reasons why that's consistently in the set is to kind of you know give you that moment and con- continue to build and reinforce yourself as a singer. Yeah, you know, it's been it's done wonders for me to be when I'm off tour of not doing doing the, the, the lead singer thing that song by itself and doing the backup vocals to the rest of the Ultra Bridge sets have kept my voice healthy. And, uh, cause back when, when you don't sing at all, and then you come back after singing for a year doing the front man thing, you, your voice fails for the first week of a tour until it gets built up strength, no matter how much you rehearse at home. Um, so doing this thing where you can put it all out there every night with Ultra Bridge has really kept my voice, um, stronger and, and more consistent, which has been big for me. And also with the Ultra Bridge set, it's good for miles to get a breather, you know, for a minute to, collect his uh, voice and give it a rest so he can come back stronger. I was going to say that too. I mean, you, you're in a band with, you know, one of the greatest singers out there and miles Kennedy. And, and he's a guy that I've talked to him about this many times, as I'm sure you know, as well, he, he'd, he'd love to just hang back and just play some guitar. He's totally, his trip is just wanting to play guitar. Oh, yeah. He was like, you know, he doesn't even know how he fell into this thing, but we've got this brilliant voice and, and that's got to be a great thing for him to be able to just step away from that, Mike. I mean, between his solo thing, he's out with slash now alter bridge. I mean, I texted him a couple months ago and he's like, I'm home for a week, man. I'm getting stir crazy. I got to get out. <laughs> so he's constantly going. Yeah. I mean, even in, in the course of a live set, it's got to be great for him to be able to get away from a mic a little bit. Cause I know how much he loves just playing guitar. Oh, he, he started singing because he was tired of dealing with singers. You know, he, he was, uh, I don't even think he thought he had a, a decent voice until he actually put a couple years into it. You know, that's what, uh, that's why he's such a good, well-rounded musician and a great, um, you know, writing partners because he he grew up playing the guitar. He dove in the guitar, and he's such a well-rounded guitar player. I think most of the world has no idea how good Miles Kennedy is. I think me and Slash have both said at one point or another that we think Miles is the better guitar player in the band. You have, you have actually Slash has said that to me and you've said that to me. And when I tell people that they're like, get out of here. And I'm like, no, they've both said it, that he's really studied the instrument. And I mean, I've had a lot of conversations with him about it. It's a big passion of his. Oh, if you stepped into a jazz club, Miles is the guy who could get up on stage and survive. You know, I'd get up there and, and five minutes into it, I'm sitting back down, but Miles could go all night. You know, he's, he's a well-rounded, uh, he, you know, he grew up with these sophisticated jazz musicians uh, throwing him to the wolves every night at these um, jazz jams, and he had to read charts and um, survive all night doing this night after night after night. And then he won some huge guitar contest of like 150 guitar players in the Pacific Northwest where he came in first place um, back when he was younger. And this was before anybody thought he he could sing, you know? So he's he's definitely a seasoned musician. And I think a lot of people just... People are getting it now more and more and more, but I still don't think they get it to the, to the level they need to. 
And of course, in Slash, I mean, he doesn't play guitar at all, outside of maybe a little rhythm guitar on one song, because I just saw them play. He'll, he'll throw on the rhythm at the end for like one song and just hang back. But with you, of course, you know, he's a big part of the sound of Alter Bridge, both singing and, of course, playing guitar and in some, some places lead guitar. When you guys first connected for Alter Bridge, Mark, was that a, were you basically just looking for a singer and him being the guitar player that he is? was a bonus or did you know when you guys connected that he was going to bring that to the table also? I had no idea. I mean, when we did a tour with them, when he was the Mayfield four, I vaguely remember him maybe having a guitar in his hand for half the set strumming some chords. I thought it was just, you know, simple chord strumming songwriter kind of guitar player. But then, uh, when we were putting together our first record, he was staying at my house and I went, I remember one night, I'll never forget the moment I'm walking to bed and I hear this, jazz coming out of his room and i kind of peeked my head in to see what he was listening to and it was him playing it along to a backing track i'm like what in the, what in the hell are you doing in here you never told me you were this great guitar player and i had known him for months at that time you know we had worked on lots of songs already and he had, he had given me no indication that he was such a sophisticated guitar player and that's just the credit to him the kind of person he is you know he's like he he thought he was being hired at the time in this band or being kind of interviewed. He was kind of still in the baby stages of being part of the band. And he just kind of wanted to, you know, come in as that singer. Cause that's what he thought we, we wanted. Didn't want to kind of push the guitar thing, but um, you know, once we saw how great he was, it would be a damn shame not to use that, that skill. And I think when we did the Blackbird record, it really, it really helped us develop a different sound than we had before. Um, and I'm so glad we did it. And your styles really complement each other, too. I mean, that's probably something you quickly figured out as well. Yeah, you know, we're we're kind of, when we first started, we were opposites. You know, he's a real groovy, real feely player. I'm more of a metal, um, you know, metal kind of guy. But uh, the more we've played with one another, the more our our sounds and styles have come come together as one. You know, I now when we write a record and I throw out my heaviest riffs, he comes back at me with something just as heavy. And that's not what it was like when we first started, you know? And, um, you know, now when he does a blues jam at Soundcheck, I can hang with him and, and do the blues jams and whatnot. I think you just kind of learn along the way and you get influenced by, even if it's subliminally, you get influenced by the people around you. Yeah, I'll tell you, I mean, I picked up on that. Even watching this new uh, DVD that we're going to talk about, I mean, you, you you watch, it seems like maybe a little of, like, his style is kind of maybe bled into your approach and vice versa. It, over the years yeah. of playing together, I, it looks like that that's happened, and I, I think it's really cool. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, you know, I think at first we filled each other's gaps, you know, and, and um, I think for the most part still on records, I'm the guy who does the... Uh, the big chunky heavy guitar uh, lines, and then Miles is the kind of guy who does all the uh, the atmospheric um, effects and um, you know things that fill out the sound. You know, and I think that kind of has always worked for us. Um, but that being said, you know, late uh, the um, lately Miles is is you know writing just as heavy as riffs as I'm writing, and we love we love doing it together, and then. Uh, who knows what the next record will look like, but, um, you know, he's he's definitely bringing a different sound than he did in the beginning. Well, I, as you know, and, and he knows, and, and all the guys in the band know, I, I absolutely love the, the records you guys have made, and I'm, you know, completely into the band. Now, that being said, 
I I usually am not a fan of heavy rock bands playing with orchestras. I, I rarely have seen instances or heard instances where it's worked for me. It's kind of like, okay, whatever. It's kind of crowbarred in. It doesn't feel right. I, I was, as much as I love Metallica, I wasn't huge into that S&M record. Um, so I was, you know, I went into hearing and watching you guys play with an orchestra kind of like, okay, I'm always open to it. Let's hear what it sounds like. I cranked this thing up on my home theater last night, Mark, and I absolutely loved it. And I'm saying that honestly. I thought it, I didn't know how it would work. I didn't know because, because even though Alter Bridge, and, and as you know, your music has a lot of different sides to it at the core. And I've said this to my audience a lot of times. I don't think people realize how heavy of a band Alter Bridge is and can be. And I'm like, when I hear, you know, it's huge. I'm such a guitar geek. I just want to hear nothing but the you know, balls out guitar tone. So that's why I always get worried when I'm starting to hear about orchestras being introduced. But you guys somehow have found a way to really make it work. And I can honestly say to my audience, it does. It, it really brought something different out of these songs what when you were first approached because for people who watch this dvd you guys make it very obvious that it was your manager who presented this idea to you what was and i know you're a big heavy rock metal guy what was your initial reaction when he said how about playing at the royal albert hall with a, with an orchestra i felt the exact same way you did i wasn't into you know i, I love snm um i i think it's a um it can work with the orchestra, but I didn't, I thought it could go down in flames. It could be cheesy. It could be, it could be uh, forced, like you said, crowbarred in and uh, not seem, um, and just not seem artistically sound to have a, have a hard rock band play with an orchestra. And, uh, after that, you know, we're just kind of thinking, what can we do to do something different? You know, we, we can try to be as different as we can, as far as the songwriting and live performance goes, but, we got to, you know, make a splash somehow else. So we, I decided, we all decided, let's just uh, see if we can make it work. I was still very nervous up until the last minute. But um, one thing we did is we took songs that we never would play or hardly ever would play live, the songs with more atmosphere, with more room to breathe for that, for the orchestra to, to fill spots and voids in the songs um, and really make those songs shine. So we really just kind of, uh, manipulated our set list to fit the orchestra that much better. And uh, it was a big challenge for us because a lot of these songs, we just weren't used to, you know, some songs become muscle memory for you. And you can play them night after night without hardly thinking about it. But all these songs, I mean, 80% of these songs, we had to really concentrate and uh, put a lot of practice in before we got to the event. But uh, we're very happy with it. But the incredible thing about that is you talk about all the practice you put in because there are a number of songs on this set list, a few that you mentioned you've, you guys have never even played live. So so there's that aspect of it. But the other thing that I found, and by the way, people watching this, beyond the fact that this thing is brilliantly shot and looks like a movie and, and essentially is a movie, all that interstitial stuff every three, four songs of you guys rehearsing and going through it in the interviews, I love all that stuff. That that stuff is is so so well done. And you reveal in that that you actually, as much as you rehearsed amongst the four of you, you actually rehearsed very little with the orchestra itself. Did you did, did I get it right where you guys said two days? We had two days. So we thought we'd get in there and we'd be able to blow through the set twice a day, maybe three times a day. We got through maybe each song once. We, we The first day, you know, there's a lot of moving parts, and, you know, you sit around for hours while this is getting set up and that setting up. Um, 
we might have got through half the set list on the first day, and we figured we'd come back the next day and be able to run through it a few times. We got just through the end of the set, you know, so each song pretty much got one run through. If we messed it up, um, we would, you know, do that song again. But the only times we'd mess things up is because we started playing songs live differently over the years. And then the orchestra would come in and the count would be off and we'd say, Oh, you know what? You're playing to the record version. Now we have to kind of make sure everybody's coming in on the one of this. So let's count these things off. So that was the biggest, biggest factor of practicing the the run throughs is that everybody's starting at the same time, you know? And, And once, once you get an orchestra starting at one time, there's such, there's such pros. They're not going to, you know, other than a, a note or two here, nobody's going to mess up because they're, they're professionals and they're reading their charts and they, they're, uh, they're great at what they do. So as long as we had those times where we all started at the same time, it was went down smooth. And as far as the songs that you picked to do, I mean, it's pretty. It's about a two-hour show, and the, obviously you've got a bunch of records now to pick songs from. What? Do you, how much consideration was given to... I imagine a lot given to the songs you decided to play in this show, given there was an orchestra there. Like I, I would think there's a few that you just kind of have to do because they're Alter Bridge classics, especially in England. But then, like you said, you wanted to do some of the atmospheric stuff. So how much what was the entire set list dictated by what would lend itself to what you thought would work well with an orchestra? Yeah, absolutely. Like our, our probably our, most popular live song is rise today, you know, and it just wasn't an orchestra kind of song. You know, it's, uh, I think the orchestra, uh, would bring out the best. And like I said, these moody atmospheric, um, songs. So like a song, like words darker than their wings is a song we never played live. It was one of my and Scott Phillips's top two or three ultra bridge songs we've ever put on a record. And our, our fans have been asking for it for years. And, um, you know, miles would always kind of push back on it. Um, and, uh, you know, he'd always say, yeah, that's, uh, that, that one note he's got to hit at the end of that song is, is such a tough note for him. It might, you know, there's certain notes that if you go for in a set, it might throw off your pitch for the rest of the set because you've had to strain so much. But um, I think he's, like the rest of us, think he's much better than he ever thinks he is. He's, he's an incredible singer, and he hit it with ease, and you see that on the recording. And, and I'm so glad we did it at that performance because it was, the first time we ever did it in front of that kind of atmosphere will capture that lightning in the bottle. Like you could never at a, at a concert with uh, just one of our normal concerts. You know, I'm so glad we did it at that event. And uh, the other thing, it's funny you bring up rise today because people start uh, singing it at the end of the show. You guys are taking your bows. <laughs> and even though you didn't play it, I picked up on the audience singing it back to you. And then miles leads them a little bit. So that song was going to be represented uh, hook or crook in the show without a doubt. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. You know what? I didn't even, I don't even remember that happening, but that's, that's amazing. Yeah. It's on the DVD. If you watch it, you'll, you'll see as you guys are taking your bows with the orchestra, the, the whole crowd just starts singing rise today back to you guys. So that's uh that, that was a very cool moment. The Eddie Trunk Podcast. Well, every car comes with its share of stories. The ding in your bumper when you nervously picked up a first date, the luxury package you got after a big promotion, or the mileage you saved by riding your bike all summer. While you can't put a price tag on your stories, now with True Car you can at least find out what your car's worth when it's time to sell or trade it in. Just go to TrueCar, 
Simply enter your license plate number and watch how your car's details pop up. Then answer a few questions. Navigation and moonroof. Watch as they bump up your value. High mileage. You already knew it was going to cost you, right? But now you know how much it dings your wallet so you can plan ahead. Once you're finished, you'll get a true cash offer sent in minutes, which you can take to a local certified dealer to cash out or trade in. So when you're ready to experience a better way to sell or trade in your car, check out True Car today. True cash offer not available in all areas. This is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Now, Mark, you I noticed you guys did this back to back nights, right? You did this you did two performances. Yeah, yeah. We just uh, you know, filming it, we wanted to make sure we we got everything in case there was a string getting broken or you know, anything went wrong, we'd have uh, a night to back it up. But we pretty much used the second night almost in its entirety because it was just uh, that was the most magical night. The first night was great. The second night was was even that much better. So we, we kind of captured that one on film. And tell me a little bit about the Royal Albert Hall. It's one of those venues like Budokan or, you know, places like that around the world that you've heard so much about or I've heard a lot about. I've never been and I, I know it's a historic venue. You know, how big is it? What, what, what was it like? Was there a great significance for you being you know, an international touring musician that, that this happened there? Um, well, I've, you know, I've been there a few times and it's just a, uh, when you walk in there, it's, uh, it just feels like hollowed ground. You know, it's very classy. It's not like you walk in, it's not like a, a rock place. It seems more of like a sophisticated, you know, you'd almost see people wearing a tie and, you know, the people who are, the ushers and whatnot are dressed up really nice. And it's, it's kind of like, uh, uh, you know, it's just a very almost formal rock and roll atmosphere when we played there. And it's, uh, it's about, I think it's about 6,500 people, but it feels bigger, you know, it feels like a, a an arena almost, but, uh, it was, you know, it's just an amazing venue with a lot of history. And you, I mean, you guys, um, you guys only did this with that orchestra there those two nights, right? You didn't do it anywhere else in England or anything. It was just those those nights. It's the only time you played like that. Yeah, that's it. You know, we you know, hopefully we get to do it again at some point. And why the orchestra? Like I noticed, and I think Miles even makes a comment about this in the in the extra uh, footage that's cut in about the fact that like wow, you know, th- these, these, these orchestra players, I mean, they're, they're cool. They're not stuffy. They're very rock and roll. They're younger people, people with long hair. Like there was this thought it's going to be a bunch of older gray hair, very serious people, but it was a very, even, even down to the conductor, a very rock and roll sort of orchestra, the parallax orchestra. How did you settle on them? How did you make the decision that, that they'd be the best people to get this done? Well, they, uh the Royal Albert Hall won't just allow any, any old orchestra to step in, you know, this place. So they've had a history there and um, our manager had reached out uh, and seen who would, who would be allowed to perform there. And they were people who have had a history there and young and have done the rock and roll thing. And uh, absolutely perfect match for what we were doing. Simon, you know, he's, he was, he was one of the biggest rock stars on that stage. You know, he's definitely a, a great performer and a great leader of that, that orchestra and uh everybody like i said they were young and and uh eager and passionate and after the show backstage you know, everybody was talking everybody was saying this is one of the greatest nights of their life you know performing on stage so it was it was a magical night 
And the, la- the 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 last thing on this is now that you you did this, even though this has just come out for the public to listen to and see, you guys actually did this coming up on almost exactly a year ago when it actually took place. So now that you've had some time to live with it, for you personally, in terms of your music, what do you think worked best? Like, what is your highlight moment? And is there anything on here in terms of like meshing with the orchestra that you're like, well, maybe in retrospect, you know, we, we maybe should have done something different than that one. I mean, so was, was there, is there one that really jumped out at you is that surprised you being so good with the orchestra and maybe one that you were like, ah, you know, I don't know, maybe we could have subbed that out for something else. No, I think a song like Words Darker was, like I said, it was probably the perfect night or perfect event to play that at for the very first time. I think it suited the orchestra really well. I think songs like uh, The End Is Here that we might not play very often. We thought, you know, especially the bridge section of that song would really fit well with the dynamics of an orchestra. Um, so I think those those two turned out great. Um, you know, there weren't any real uh, tracks on there that I thought, you know, the orchestra and us kind of stepped on each other's feet. I think it was... I think um, they did a good enough job, a great job of, of uh, putting together what they were going to play and, and uh, make sure that, uh, you know, if the band was doing something hard and aggressive that they backed off and when there was um, time for, for space for them to shine, that they, they, they picked and chose their spots to do it. And there's a long shot from above as you guys are playing, and I noticed in front of your pedals on the floor, it, it looked like there's a lot of, like, three, four sheets of paper taped to the floor. Uh, more so than maybe would just be the set list. Did you have some sort of notes or something? Yeah, those are my, um, you know, since some of these songs we, we hadn't played a lot, um, it's just my safety blanket of, of lyrics. You know, if if I had a lot of, uh, like in Words Darker, I had those lyrics written down. I sang it a hundred times before the show just practicing. But uh, when you have the pressure on and the nerves kick in, and the lights off and the crowd in front of you, sometimes your brain goes blank and it's good to have that safety net. So basically a poor man's teleprompter. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> oh yeah. And you know, I don't even look at them. They're just there to, to make me feel um, secure. <laughs> yeah. And the last thing that, that I want to ask you too, which I thought was really cool is, is after this whole concert's over and, and you guys pull all the orchestra down and you take this bow and it's just this amazing footage. Cause Royal Albert Hall, it's just this incredible building and, and all that. Over the end credits, they, there's a, a a purely orchestrated version of, I think it was Blackbird that plays, which was really, really cool. Where did that come from? Did the orchestra just record that as, as a standalone piece at some point? I think what we did was when we were in the rehearsal room, we recorded... Um, everything they were doing before we would go down, you know, so we, we could actually hear through monitors what they were doing without us. And I'd almost like to do an entire CD of just them doing it. No vocals, no band. Um, kind of like, uh, remember when I had my, when I had my kids and they were babies, um, I would buy like the Metallica orchestrated right. versions of Metallica and Led Zeppelin and this and that. And I would play that for them when they were going to sleep. I thought that would be such a cool thing to have for, for our own band. But, uh, you know, you should have taken more advantage of that and had them do the whole the whole damn thing and recorded it. Yeah, it's really cool. I mean, I was listening to it and I was like, I think this is Blackbird, and you know, hearing hearing the music transformed like that as a purely orchestra piece was really 
really cool. And I mean, it just speaks to the quality of the music you guys make with this band because it just, I, I, I'm not, I'm not going to lie to anybody. I'm not a fan. I, I probably would go crazy sitting through a complete classical show. <laughs> I'm not, you know, I'm a rock Neanderthal. I mean, it would take a lot for me to do that, but I have an appreciation for it. And if it's music that I, I like in its original form, I, I can appreciate it even more. And I, I listened to, I was listening to it over the whole end credits. I was like, that's really cool, man. It, I'm pretty sure it's Blackbird. If I, I remember because i watched it the other day but i think it's blackbird the one that's on there yeah i think anything you you love and you're really into and you're familiar with it then you hear an orchestra t- uh, the orchestra's take on it it's always going to be great if you if you're already a fan of it um unless it's a terrible orchestra but these guys are talented great uh musicians so it was uh yeah it was, it was amazing. Yeah, I mean, no, don't get me wrong. I st- well, I come to see Alter Bridge. I still wanted to see you pumping out those riffs, man. But I'm just saying, it was just cool to hear <laughs> something different like that and a different take on these songs. That was really cool. Yeah, well, we've you know we've we've talked behind the scenes about how we could get back into you know not doing it all the times. So we're not going to transform what our band sound is, but it'd be good to do little pockets of shows where we could, uh, you know work off of the success of the DVD and, and kind of uh, promote shows around it. Cause I think, uh, I think we'd all love to do it again. All right. Well, everybody check it out. I'm telling you, it's, it's phenomenal live at Royal Albert hall featuring the parallax orchestra, alter bridge available. Uh, if you buy the box, you get the CD, you get the DVD, you get the Blu-ray, everything in one incredible, nice, nice booklet in there too. I mean, I guys know me. I love my physical, you know, stuff and, and it's a, it's a great package as well. Definitely worth checking out. Uh, so, Mark, the plan, obviously, Miles is out there with Slash right now. You're out there with Tremonti. Uh, Dying Machine is the new album from Tremonti, which is uh, available now. I just got a book sent to me, by the way. I guess you did a book. The book has come out, right? Yeah. It came out about a month ago. Okay, so that yeah, so you're continuing with that whole concept, and you're building that out, because I know that was important to you as well. Yeah, I mean, this, this last year has probably been the most satisfying... Uh, creative moment in my career you know being able to do the concept record and, and the follow-up novel um it's kind of a pie in the sky idea when i was thinking about it but then i was like you know just only one way to do it dive in and do it and um i knew i couldn't do it in time in this in the uh record cycle so i had to partner up with uh, john shirley uh, and we we partnered up on he helped me fast track writing the book and uh so we co-authored uh dying machine the novel and it's uh you know, it's been one of the most exciting things I've ever done. So what is the plan to reconvene for Alter Bridge as far as with your schedule with Tremonti and all this stuff? Like I said, Miles, not only with Slash, but also I know he's going to do another run of dates with his solo thing. I know you guys all kind of plan this out two, three years out, how you're you're all going to do your schedules. What is the plan for Alter Bridge to start thinking about another record and, and go into touring mode? Uh, well, I'm in full-on writing mode now. You know, I've I've, uh, I've got a handful of ideas that I'm trying to solidify and, and uh, present to Miles, and he's um, organizing his ideas. And then uh, hopefully we get together three or four times, uh, you know, for week-long writing sessions. And then we're supposed to get hit the studio in March. Um, but you know, if you look at the last record, Last Hero, we didn't have any pre-writing stuff. We just kind of dove right in, took our best ideas, and and. Uh, try to capture lightning in a bottle, but I, you know, I, it kind of stressed me out a little bit. I like to be more prepared and, and sit down with me and miles and really iron out the songs, um, a little more like on a record, like Blackbird, we, we had a year and a half, I think putting that record together. And, and, uh, 
I feel better in those situations when you're coming in um, more prepared. That being said, some songs do come out better when it's capturing lightning in a bottle. But uh, uh, we'll, we'll kind of have to be somewhere in the, in the middle on this one because we're both so busy and, and uh, just got to put the time aside to, to make it right. We won't record it unless it's right. Do you worry about burnout at all, whether with you or even with Miles, who's doing three bands and, you know, that unbelievable voice he has? We all see that, you know, and we know we both know how meticulous he is about taking care of himself and his voice and not wanting to talk on days he has to do a show. And I mean, you know, the guy, the guy takes care of himself incredibly, but, you know, everybody gets older. I mean, do you worry that doing two, three bands at the same time could have a adverse impact on on one of the groups? I only I only think that comes into play when you're running around the world not playing shows. You're having to go, you know, go to Europe to do two weeks of press and then go do a photo shoot and a video shoot. All the stuff that's like it's like going to the dentist for a musician. You know, all that stuff, playing live and recording in the studio. That's what we do it for. Um, so getting all that other stuff out of the way and being able to, um, uh, you know, perform live. Once once you put a record out and you start feeling. Um, the magic of the new songs you're create you're creating you just can't wait to put it out there into the world that kind of gets you excited all over again and, and me and miles being in separate bands um in the interim between records we come back so much more excited it's like fresh and new again every time so i think it's healthy for for alter bridge have you seen them in i mean i know you must have but if, how many times have you seen them in slash's band oh i've seen them a bunch you know we did we did um a handful of shows with them years back um and we've done a bunch of festivals with them. And you know, if, if they're ever through town, I'll go see him. And if I'm ever through town, he'll come see us. And, you know, he surprised us on the last uh, Tremonti tour. Uh, when we were playing London, I went to get a guitar exchange between songs and he handed me the guitar and surprised me at the show, which was really cool. And then, uh, you know, one thing I, I really want to see that I haven't been able to see is him doing his solo act, which everybody's just blown away with. And right. I, I've always been. I'm always touring when he's touring, so it's it's tough. And of course, I was at the show that was at Rocklahoma, like I think five years ago or so, when you played Rocklahoma with Creed, and he played with Slash. And we, I have a photo somewhere of all of us together, which was like the meeting of the of the bands. Oh yeah, like, that was that was that was one of those moments where I got, how's this gonna go? <laughs> it went okay, I think, if I remember, it went okay. Yeah. Yeah, you are you're the uh you're the guy who brought us all together. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know if I go that far, but I was in the picture. That's all I know. I don't, I don't think I orchestrated okay. anything that day, but like everybody, I remember it was like a big buzz backstage. It's like, "Oh, Miles and Scott are meeting for the first time." And it was just like, you know, Miles is so easy going. It was like it was all very very easy it yeah. seemed. So, did you do you have any is there any plans with you and and um Brian and Scott to do anything with Creed again? Uh, you know, never say never, but there's nothing. I mean, I'm so busy right now between, uh, trying to work around the clock, putting together an ultra bridge record. And then of course, follow up with another Toronto record after that. It's just, who knows when it would happen. But, uh, I said something recently in an interview that kind of got all over the place about having, uh, a bunch of Creed material. And, um, you know, there's, I, you know, I don't know when that would happen, but there's, there were songs that we worked on when we were doing the full circle tour that, that are just kind of sitting on ice right now. But, um, you mean recorded, you know, recorded or a uh, Mark, you mean recorded or written? No, just written. You know, I, I would always just have my laptop and I would jam with the guys. And then when Scott would come in, I would, uh, you know, I'd record with and without 
Scott on there just to have the arrangements down and whatnot. So I just have, you know, really bad recordings of just kind of like an, the external mic on your laptop recording your band play live in a room. So it's it's good enough for me because that's all I've ever worked with. I don't I don't spend time I don't spend hours and hours and hours making great sounding demos because you're gonna re record it anyways. It's just wasted time. Um, so I uh, I just make cheap and easy demos. Um, you know that that are that are quick and easy and effective. And are you in touch with Stapp? Is he doing well? Do you talk to him? Uh, every now and then, you know, it's um, you know he's, he just had a baby and congratulated him. He's you know when he came through Orlando, they reached out, but I was leaving town. Um, but no, I think he's doing real well. I think he's um, he's he's gotten real healthy and uh, um, yeah. I mean, I've I've only heard good things. I saw him about a year ago. He was doing his own tour, and I, I, I really don't know him now that well, but I, I met him, and he invited me up on the bus, and we sat and we talked for a while. And, uh, you know, he's, he definitely seemed to be in a really good place, which is good to see. So, um, you know, that, yeah, that, was definitely, that was definitely a positive. All right, man. Well, listen, I appreciate all the time. It's always great catching up with you. See Everybody see Mark on tour now with his, his, his another killer band, Tremonti, man. That, that is um, some, some badass stuff. A Dying Machine is the latest record. And oh, this, too, real quick, I almost forgot. Did I read that Garrett is not playing with you? Is that, did Garrett not able to do the tour? Yeah, we've you know we just haven't gotten into the personal issues of it out in the out in the public, but yeah, he's he's taking a breather and uh, he's at home right now. Okay, well, wish him the best. We got, a, we got Ryan Bennett. Ryan Bennett's out there um, playing with us right now. Okay, well, Gar- Garrett's a badass on those records, man, and and playing live. So uh, wish him the best, and I'm I'm sure you guys are still sounding great live. And uh, you'll so you'll stay out with Tremonti for a little bit. And then you know just go on you know just get ready to make some new Alter Bridge music. It sounds like in the new year. Absolutely, making it right now. Just haven't haven't gotten to go with Miles yet to kind of solidify the uh, final arrangements and whatnot. But uh, yeah, working hard at it. Well, the pressure's on, bro, because the the last three <laughs> three four records, man, each one is just blows my mind. It's just killer stuff. It's some of my favorite music to come out in the last ten years or so. The the last few records you made. So I can't wait to hear what you what you got cooking for the next one. Well, thanks so much, man. All right, listen, safe travels, and uh, everybody check out Alter Bridge live at the Royal Albert Hall. I'm telling you, it's, it's incredible. It looks incredible. It sounds incredible. It works, and uh, just amazing performances uh, across the board, including the orchestra, which, you know, people know me, man. I just love loud guitars, but it really does work. I really did enjoy it. Take care, man. I'll talk to you soon, okay? You too. Thanks so much. You got it. Well, I'll be honest with you, I'm usually not a big fan of bands playing with orchestras, but I do really, because I guess because I love Alter Bridge so much, but I do think it really worked for Alter Bridge. They didn't overpower, the orchestra didn't overpower the uh, crunchiness and heaviness of Alter Bridge. Really enjoyed that release, and the video portion of it is phenomenal if you have the Blu-ray. So thanks to Mark Tremonti. Thanks earlier in the podcast to Jason Bonham for joining me this week. And of course, thank you for listening wherever, whenever, and however you do it. Thanks to Katie Irizarry. She is the producer of the Eddie Trunk Podcast. You guys have a great new year, and I'll see you on Thursday of next week in our first podcast of 2019 for another all-new episode of the Eddie Trunk Podcast. And don't forget, follow on social media at Eddie Trunk, Twitter, Instagram, fan page on Facebook, and of course, at EddieTrunk.com.
New to Podcast One, it's Just Between Us with Bailey Madison from The Good Witch. I'm a great godmother. <laughs> wow. And her sister, Caitlin Riley. What project have you done <laughs> I that can't. your older supportive sister cannot remember? Yo, Two sisters with a 13-year age gap navigating the ups and downs of life together. Things we're both bad at. Dancing. Three, two, oh, yep. yep. <laughs> Is that what you were going to say? I was going to say dancing. Yep. As they open up their lives to you with family stories and lessons, check out Just Between Us each week on Podcast One or wherever you get your favorite podcast. Myrtle Beach is the beach. 60 miles of bright sand, water, and a wealth of wonderful music playing day and night. You can step into a simple beach bar and discover a surprising level of exciting musical talent. A place to kick back and groove to the enticing soundtrack of the most unexpected vacations around. With nothing but good vibes floating through the warm ocean air. Plan your own music field trip to America's Jukebox at visitmyrtlebeach.com.